welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Okay, welcome back to Girl and the Gov, the podcast. The first thing that comes to my mind today is Lauren Boebert. And <laughs> honestly, this is just the wanting thing to chat about the OTPHJ that was seen around the world. I have so many comments. One, <laughs> who knew Beetlejuice was going to just get like this PR moment? <laughs> Happy for them. But yeah, Lauren Boebert, that was such an interesting, interesting tidbit that I didn't see for my week but mm. was kind of greatly appreciated. Okay. Here's the question though, that I have been oh, I, pondering. I also have something to say, but you go first. Oh, okay. okay. I wonder what you've been pondering because I've been pondering something as well. I wonder if we're pondering the same thing. Potentially. That would be like, okay. So obviously like all the full steam is like headed her way, like because A, she's like this member of Congress, all of the things she stands for is like in contradiction to this. And then it comes out that also the guy that she's on this date with, is an owner of a bar that hosts drag story hours. And oh, I did not know this. Yeah. Yeah. Like apparently like is what? a big lib with a capital, not capital W, a capital Wait, L. Really? Yeah. But then in my head, I'm like also asking this question of like. Did he set her up? How, not even, I don't even see that's not even where my head. Well, it's possible. It's possible. He's trying but, to infiltrate the right. I've always, I was had, like, I've always had like a pipe dream of doing that too, like dating some conservative and just exposing the fuck out of him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you are giving me so much nightmare fuel in case I, I didn't trust anyone as it is. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Regardless of that, I was thinking like, what would this guy like, if it's not that he's not trying to like infiltrate what like sane liberal dude is just like, you know what? Lauren Bobart. Honestly, it's probably a fetish. Yeah, it's probably like if you're into like hate sex or, you know, you like to like fight and make up, then maybe that's that was his MO. But honestly, more than anything, like the setting up situation like really checks for me because it was a first date. Like she didn't know this guy. And it was a first date. Yeah. Who goes to a theater date for a first date? Great question. You can't talk, but you can get handsy. So also so daring to get handsy in a packed theater she's you know, getting divorced she's, Maybe she's trying to get back at her ex like well what i was pondering was that maybe oh, she's right. trying to get back at matt gates in whatever situation ship that they had let me just ask I was pondering, for the audience where's matt gates what what does he think this is maddie's this? theory this is maddie's <laughs> conspiracy theory ladies yeah. gentlemen okay but hmm. yeah it's that I ship Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert together. And I think they've been having a secret affair for a while now. You know, now her divorce is happening. And I just, it makes me think, hmm, interesting. I had this theory and now she's getting divorced. And, you know, maybe they had just some seamy affair and maybe something's happening or they're on a break and she's trying to get back at him. And she's like, Maybe it's a setup with this liberal and they're actually, both of them are in cahoots and they're like, okay, I want to get back at my ex. You want to expose me. Let's get handsy in this theater. 
There's nothing <laughs> like getting your ex jealous or fake ex jealous, like giving an over the pants hand job. It's right. or the wait, way also actually... like I've never gotten handsy in a theater, so I don't like what the strategy yeah, is. No. But she didn't seem to have one. Like she also just like grabbed his hand and like just threw it on her chest. There was just no strategy, like no regard for what they were doing. It's just strange. It's just genuinely <laughs> strange from like every angle that you hit it at. To so put, strange like, that even Barstool made a video about it. That's when you know. It's and called really out her hypocrisy. Not. It was like, what do you know? Which from KFC, who cheated on his pregnant wife, is real rich. So <laughs> I'm just saying. But regardless, see regardless, it. I did see that. And I put it on our story too. That Fetterman like had some Twitter words for it. and Another egg. It, oh yeah. A hog. Like a hog. I've never That's... heard of that in my life. Oh, I have. Is this a thing? Okay. So oh my God. Friends like call a, it a hog. It's what? one of, it's one of the, it's one of the many a terms. Um, huh. A hog. Yeah. That was fucking like, another iconic reaction from him, which like, I just couldn't, not couldn't stand words. anymore. He's iconic. He's just changing the game. And there's also, you know, all this drama around the dress code, everything being changed in the Senate, and he's really at the helm of it. And I just want more controversy from controversy. This is not even controversy. Yeah. It's like Quote just breaking the status quo that people right. are like up in arms about. But more Fetterman, more, more, more. I need more. Yeah. Also, low key, the actual dress code like the changes to it first of all it's informal there's nothing in like written in stone second of all like it's not like a massive change to like what it is it's not like it's going from suit and tie to come in in your like underwear like it's just like they're yeah. making it sound like you know what actually meanwhile forget Lo- the clothes Lauren come Bobert and make it right it's out in the theater right. essentially so please i i have also a story that has to do kind of with congress and Oh, the government shut down and everything. So for legal purposes, this is a hypothetical story. I'm so scared. <laughs> As the legal department of this podcast, <laughs> I am uh, shivering so in my seat. I, I'm going out of the country next month. My dad decided like- I was going to text you about this. A few weeks passport. ago to renew my passport because my passport also just quit qualm about the government. My passport doesn't expire till end of November, yet I can't travel in October and be back before November. Stupid. Let's 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 change that. that. So I have to renew my passport, even though it's not even going to expire by the time I get back. But I had a really tight window to turn it around because we did kind of plan this trip quick and yada, yada. So I was going back and forth trying to figure out how I'm going to pull this off because doing it by mail was just like going to be too sketchy to cutting it too close. Like they could just never send me my passport back in time and I could be screwed. So in order to get an in-person appointment, you have to call and schedule an appointment two weeks before your travel date. And that way it's like urgent travel and you have to come in and they're like, okay, we have to take you. So that would have been like October 2nd or something. And Knowing how our government works and how our Congress works, knowing the looming government shutdown that is upon us, I was like, okay, what can I do? My sister comes in hot with the most genius idea of all time. Oh, God. Again, this is hypothetical. Okay. Wink, wink. She goes, Mm. why don't you just book a flight to like Mexico or something 
for like next week and then call like again an appointment and i go that's genius because like on southwest you know just cancel it for free so hypothetically i ended up booking a flight for scheduled for thursday i'm like mom can i still go to mexico and got my passport last week and i'm good to go miss the government shutdown and really averted a crisis and found a government loophole, which I'm really proud of. So sorry. That's my story. Strategy around avoiding government shutdown because I would have not been able to go on my family trip because of Kevin McCarthy. So there we are. Okay. First of all, that is genius. Right? Like mazel to your sister. That is so fucking smart. Dear God from the legal department, I am going to have nightmares for the next eternity but i already have them so why not up but i literally it's so funny that you like him with this or this whole strategy came to be because i literally meant to text you some mm. point in like the last few days being like so what are you gonna do about Figure your passport? like has your yeah. dad yelled at you yet and i was gonna say because mine i renewed my passport i kept dragging my feet because it's just annoying to do sometime this summer i guess june and it really did take like eight weeks for them Mm-hmm. to get it back to me. And I have to say, like, which is funny that we're talking about IDs in this next, in this episode today. Yeah. I, I was like, really? It. Okay. There it is. I was like a little bit like nervous, not having it. I have a license. I have other forms of ID, but just like not having it. Like I always have a passport card and my license and my passport. It just was like, I almost like felt naked, if you will. Like it is a weird feeling. And I didn't have any plans like, or international trips on the docket, but I still just like felt weird without it. Yeah. So it does for anyone that is looking to renew their passport, don't pull a Maddie and wait until the last minute. Oh God. Do not (laughs) work smarter, not harder. (laughs) Oh, that's my, that's my life motto. Yeah. Pretty iconic. And I got my passport today and I looked really cute compared to my 17 year old after soccer practice photo that I had for 10 years. So there's no way it wasn't worse. I hate to tell you mine that I replaced. I had a slit in the middle of my eyebrow, like missing part of it. I look like I was in a gang straight up, like full on. And I also, oh, I had this thing, this stress thing when I was younger where I just pull out my eyebrows. Mm. Not a good look. One of my best friends has it too. It's very strange. So there's like these pictures of us at in college one point where like neither of us have eyebrows. And we're like, (laughs) (laughs) two peas in a pot. Literally like the way we found each other, absurd. But, but there was something very specific that I was going to say to the photo. Oh, I also like was really just like puffy in it and I didn't look like me at all. And every single time I go to the airport, they really would give me like the rundown. I used to get pulled all the time. So I just like didn't look like my passport photo. Mm-hmm. And now I finally do. And I just feel. I made the lady at Walgreens take like 10 pictures of me. And she was actually like so annoyed at me. She like was like, no, you're done. You're done. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> I was like, I can't risk another bad ID photo because my license is not good either. And also, I don't even think my license expired. My license weirdly like lasted so long and I still think I still have like three to four years left on it. And I got it. My pictures from when I was 16. So really odd. Speaking of IDs and passports, (laughs) (laughs) it's again, perfect story for this episode laying the context of just Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to get an ID, a form of identification in this country. Um, My story is not even comparable to those of 
so many in this country who can't even get a basic form of identification. So we get into all of that. And this is episode number two of this topic with this guest. And we always say like, this is our favorite episode, like sneaky. Like every time we've been interviewed and be like, who's been your favorite guest? We're like, oh, we can't pick, but it's Kat Calvin. It's the IDs. It's the IDs. Mind blowing. This is the episode. It's like round two and it's even better. It's so good. And also part of this whole situation is that Kat is releasing, not even is, has released her first book on this topic. I actually have it right here. She's cute. She's pink. It's called American Identity in Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist. So she gets into all of the things that we talked about on this episode in depth, talks stories from the the start, the impetus of everything to where this fight for getting IDs for all Americans is. There is a bill. There is a bill that has just been introduced in Congress. We've had info on it. You might have seen it in the GovHub newsletter. So we'll also put it, you know, we're going to put it, we're going to put it in hot mic again this week. So there'll be the action item, details on that bill and all that good stuff. So definitely make sure to subscribe there and check it all out. And of course, pre-order. Oh my God, it's not pre-order. I've been saying pre-order for a while. You can officially order the book. It's live. you should- Ask your local bookstore to order it for you if they don't have it in stock, all that good stuff. Kat is also on a book tour and she talks to us about that as well. So all the good things. Anyways, let's get into it. Let's fucking get into it. Without further ado, here is Kat. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlinthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. 
Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing premixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. All right. Welcome back to Girl and the Gov podcast, Kat Calvin. <laughs> I am so, so happy to be here. (laughs) We are too, because first of all, our last episode we did together was what feels like an eternity ago. Like literally when we were still getting our feet wet, figuring out what podcasting was, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll come on your show. We're like, oh my God, thank God. Like she wants to come on. And we didn't know if we were going to make it past, you know, 20 episodes, 30, and you did. And we could not be more thankful and we have to say, before we get really into the weeds here, is that next year, everyone will ask us, like, what's your favorite episode you've done? Like, who's your favorite guest? And literally, like, we're always like, it's our favorite child situation. We can't pick one. But if you're going to listen to one, it's the one but, with Kat. No, literally. actually, like, still to this day, it's, we uh-huh. always tell people, like, don't go listen to our first episodes because we were just such noobs. But we still to this day are like, the, the ID episode, Cat Calvin, all the things, and just was the most interesting, jaw dropping episode. And I think still to this day is my favorite child. Wow. <laughs> so kind. And I'm just like so amazed at how you've grown the podcast. And it's just, it's been fantastic to watch. You guys are incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, we are so happy, of course, again, to be here. And we do want to catch people up, though. For those that maybe they haven't gone to the archives, they haven't flowed their way down Apple Podcasts and whatnot, can you tell us about Project ID Action? Like, what you guys do, what the story is, like, the sort of the elevator pitch or speech, if you will, on what y'all do? Yeah, absolutely. So we work in two different ways. We have Spread the Vote Plus Project ID, our 501c3. And what we do is we work on the ground in 21 states, helping people get government-issued photo ID. 
So there are 26 million American adults who don't have photo ID. And we work either individually or through partners, helping folks get all the documents they need, the providing funds, transportation, everything required to help folks get an ID. And then during elections, we do voter education and turnout. Then we have Project ID Action Fund, which is our political arm, our C4. And what we do is try to pass policy to expand ID access. So we have a bill in Congress, the IDs for Inclusive Democracy Act, which is which would establish a free federal ID for everyone. We also have state legislation. I actually, breaking news on you guys' podcast, I just... Ooh that one of our bills passed the assembly is on is on and is on the governor's desk that would Yay. provide for the unhoused they are 41 dollars <laughs> so providing them for free is huge and free birth certificates for low-income californians and so i'm so so thrilled that that hopefully come on gavin fingers crossed <laughs> that will be huge it'll make it'll make such a huge difference and so and that's really our goal you know is Sure, we're helping folks one-on-one every day, and that's important because people need IDs right now. But my goal, our goal, is to make sure that every American just has an ID, like every other country in the world. This isn't an issue. And so by working on changing policy, you know, with the swipe of a pin, Gavin will help thousands, if not millions more people be able to get vital documents and IDs than we can do one-on-one. And so we're trying to attack the issue on both sides. Yeah, totally amazing. Well, yeah, I think it's in California, but obviously everywhere it's going to be really huge if that passes. And something that, you know, we talked about last time was kind of the mission of Project ID and how a lot of it had to do with like access to voting. And obviously like that mission like spread into so many other things. And we're curious to kind of like get the deep dive on on what that is. And especially for those who like weren't able to be around the first episode with you, but hear something like, okay, IDs in California, what's that going to do? You know, what's that going to do for people? Can you kind of explain how that mission spread and why? Yeah, absolutely. So like most people, when I started this, when I thought about IDs, I just thought about IDs and voting, right? Like I've had I've always had an idea. I've had a passport since I was an infant. You know, like there's never been a waking moment in my life when I haven't had valid ID. And so I'm, I started Spread the Vote because 2016 happened. It was the first major election without voter ID laws. We really saw what it did. And I thought, oh, well, there's no national organization getting IDs. I'll do that. And I'm, it probably took about two minutes after starting it to realize, oh, wait, there's bigger issue here because everyone we were going to and saying, hey, you want us to help you get an ID to vote? And they would say, I need a job. I need housing. I need to be able to feed my children. I need IDs for that. You know, are you going to help with that? And I realized like, oh, oh, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem, not just with voting. That's the problem with everything. And so we really pivoted and changed everything to be able to help people get DMV IDs, but it really changed my perspective. And what I know now, 11,000 IDs later, you know, seven years later, is IDs are the key that open everything up as far as escaping poverty, as far as civic participation, as far as, you know, one of the things that our clients say most often when they get an ID is, I'm a person again. Right. As far as as existing, really, you need an ID for jobs, housing, health care to access the social services like SNAP or WIC or Medicaid that are supposed to help you back on your feet. Right. To get a bank account 
Food banks require IDs often to get food. Shelters often require IDs to get nights in bed, right? Like if you want to just survive, if you want to open the door to a new life, um, to being able to be stable or care for your families, you need an ID first. And then that helps you access everything else. And so when we have 26 million adults in this country, it's more than the population of every state except California and Texas who don't have that ID, and it impacts them, right? So I live in California, I live in Los Angeles, where we have 75,000 people sleeping on the streets. It is an overwhelming problem. And we are the only organization that helps people get IDs, right? Like that, that's our sole thing. And so we're overwhelmed with the need and everybody in, in every organization from the county and the school district to the, the mayor's office, everyone sends people to us because they want to put them in housing or in a job program or this or that, but they need an ID to do it. And so we're looking at not only the impact that that then has on the unhoused folks or the under or unemployed folks or formerly incarcerated folks or veterans or whoever themselves, but on all of us, because if COVID taught us anything, right, we are all connected, you know, disease does not care about your gated community, right, or what neighborhoods you live in. If we care about, you know, crime, sure, right? If we, you know, whatever it is, we care about just the tax base, right? Like the difference between the, what are we paying $26 billion a year in this country the, uh, is the cost of homelessness, right? And that's versus the amount that it would, that we would make if we had people who had jobs and who had housing and who were able to put their kids in school, et cetera. So it, the impact is enormous because it really is everything. And when we're right now in a time in our country where we're seeing homelessness skyrocket and we're seeing poverty skyrocket and, you know, child poverty is just like doubling, you know, if every single adult in this country had an ID, it could just get a job, it could access services, then so many of those, those issues would resolve or they'd be on the first step of being resolved. It's so wild how much essentially everything depends on this ID. And yet it's so before you, I mean, it wasn't seemingly Nobody part of the conversation. Yeah. Like, if we're going to fund all of these programs, for example, which we should do, and we should fund more personal opinion, well, we need to be able to have those people access them. Like, what's the point of funding something that no one can access? Like, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I'm just really curious as to why we don't just all have ideas. Yeah, in this is country. there a catch? Like, like, is there, is this really like that obvious of like, for example, like in in LA, you know, the 75,000 people on the street, like how many, obviously, I don't know if you know that number, it might be overwhelming to, you know, track all that, but like how many of those people don't have IDs and don't even have the access to like start getting, you know, back on their feet? Yeah. So I answer that question first. And then the question about why this obvious thing hasn't happened, you know, when you're unhoused, it is almost a guarantee that at some point you're going to lose your documents because you don't have a place to put them. They will get lost. They will get stolen. We had three months of torrential rain in LA where everyone lost everything. Also the cops throw away documents when they do sweeps, right? Like you don't have anywhere to put your things and you don't have a filing cabinet to store your mm -hmm. birth. Right? Right. It's just, you're lucky, right? Or a backpack that you always keep with you or whatever. So you're going to lose your things. And one of the things we see often with folks which I'm very concerned about with this, you know, skyrocketing evictions that we're seeing over the country is that the second people get evicted, one of the first thing that's the things that happens is they lose whatever documents they were able to take with them. And then they're 
then they're done, right? Because then you don't have it. And so then when you need, and you may have a job when you get evicted, but it's very hard to hold on to a job when you're in-house for obvious reasons. And so then if you need a new one, right? Or if you need your driver's license because you're living in your car or whatever it is, it's gone. And so so it is it is a high percentage. And we don't know, we don't have studies of we 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 don't even have accurate studies or counts of how many people are in house or how many don't have IDs at any given moment. But we know that it's a high percentage, and we know that you know just from the work that I do in Skid Row, we also have people who just come back often because it got stolen, it got lost, the cops swept it, whatever. There is no catch except that we live in a country that is unique in that we think you have to earn the right to be alive, right? Mm. We can have universal health care, right? Like if we right. didn't, we wouldn't have to have active shooter drills in schools because we do something about the fact that children get shot. So this is on that same part of, you know, this is a problem. It affects 11% of adults in this country, but it affects so many more people than and only like something like 2 million people get diagnosed with cancer every day, right? Like 141,000 people get shot every day. It's a, it is a massive 26 million. It's a massive number, but we don't care, right? It's people we don't care about. It's people who are unhoused. It's returning citizens. It's former foster youth. It's seniors. It's LGBTQ youth, right? It's people we don't care about and we don't listen to. It's people who don't vote. They don't vote because we make it impossible for them, right? So you have all of that. And then on top of it, we also in this country don't recognize that a problem is a problem until it's been like 150 years. And this has really only been a problem at this scale since 9-11. I'm after 9-11, because the the 9-11 terrorists, the 19 of them had something like 36 IDs, right? That they state IDs that they had gotten validly. And so that there was an immediate freak out. And that's where real ID comes from, where the 9-11 commission was like, we got to make the UID secure. Now it's 22 years later and it still hasn't actually been fully implemented. And I still haven't gotten mine. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Never going to be. But every single DMV in the country changed their rules overnight. Because for most states, it's not statutory, right? Like what kind of documents you have to show, et cetera. It's usually the head of the Department of Transportation or somebody, you know, in D.C., it's just Muriel Bowser. Right? Like it's usually just a person or an office who can decide. And so overnight, they changed a lot. Like people don't realize the type of security and monitoring that's in your ID that you don't know about. You know, the documents that, that change, the, the layers of like photo recognition. There's all of these things that they put into IDs and they didn't have to tell anybody. They just did it. But what it did, because another thing that we do a lot in this country is we defensively overreact. And so we made it so hard to get IDs that all of a sudden it made it really difficult for a big group of people who it wasn't before. So you used to be able to, like if you had an Arizona ID and you moved to California, you could just take that Arizona ID to the DMV and they'd give you a California ID. Now you need a full set of documents when you move to a new state. So if you have a hard time getting your birth certificate, then which 15 to 18 million American adults don't have access to their birth certificates or citizenship records, well, now you can't get an ID. And if you go to Vital Records and ask for a birth certificate without an ID, they will make your life very difficult, right? And so the combination of it being a group of people we don't really care about and of this being an issue that is relatively new in this country and the fact that it's 
it is so hard and expensive and complicated to help people get IDs that there is a reason that I was the like first person. There are wonderful local organizations that have been doing this for a long time, but there wasn't a national organization because it's really hard and it's really expensive. And I've done permanent damage to my health trying to like make this work. And so, yeah, I just wrote the first ever book on IDs because I was the first moron who was like, I'll make this my life's thing. <laughs> I just don't know why. I've chosen that. I could have done it. I could have been on a reality show, but here I am. And so I'm trying to beat that drum and trying to get people to understand, hey, this feels so obvious that it's stupid and like it's hard to believe. And the numbers are hard to believe. You know, when I first started, I would do trainings or speak and I would have people like look at me in the face and call me a liar when I said how many people don't have IDs. And I was like, here's the data, like I'm not lying. And a new study came out last November showing that the number has gone up from 21 million when I started, or, and that study was a, a few years old even then, to 26 million people who don't have IDs. And so, you know, it's, it's obvious, but it's ignored. And, you know, every issue needs a person to shout until people hear. And so here I am. Well, thank I'm you glad. for yeah. Yeah, risking your mental health. <laughs> such a crazy issue that I'm sure gets so frustrating and just like can everyone just get it together can we all be on the same page about this simple thing so you are doing crucial work and we applaud you over and over well to lay some groundwork we've talked kind of a lot about this but to kind of get into a little more detail like you talked about this a little earlier but like what are some of the things that require an ID and like why are they so vital to people like literally quite literally surviving Yeah, I mean, you know, so you can start with the basics like a job, right? If you get a legal job, then you have to fill out an I-9. So you need your ID and either a birth certificate or a social security card or a passport or something. Housing, right? If you want an apartment or buy a house, you know, whatever, you have to have legal ID in order to, to get housing. But particularly for the folks that we're talking about, if you are lucky enough to get a Section 8 voucher, which is really hard, you have to have an ID, right? And so like even the housing that helps folks, like we have agencies who call us because they have people who they've given Section 8 vouchers to who don't have IDs. And like, well, you're like, why is the government close that loop? Uh, You know, most forms of healthcare, if you want to, if you get on Medicaid or Medicare, you need ID for that. If you want SNAP, if you want WIC, right, any government program, SSI, you need ID for all of that. There, you know, you also need ID if you want to get an education. So I just had a client who we just got his birth certificate because LA City College is the biggest community college program in the country. It's incredible. They have so much money that they have just nothing but scholarships. And so it's actually pretty easy to get an education, but you have to have an ID. And so even if you're trying to improve yourself and you're going to this great community college program, then they'll give you the scholarships for the books of the tuition. You got to have an ID and you got to have your birth certificate for that, right? And you need an ID to open a bank account. We have, what, 61 million unbanked Americans. And one of the things, you know, pre-COVID, I would never eat at restaurants that didn't take cash because it was a way of saying we don't want poor people here. But then COVID happened and now everybody's cashless. But for 61 million people who are unbanked, that keeps them out. You know? Totally. Um, It's like all these little things, like everything builds on itself. Like you can't mail a package at FedEx without ID. 
you know, you also can't visit someone who's incarcerated. So we had a woman whose son had been incarcerated for 10 years, but she hadn't had an ID for 13. And until we helped her get an ID, she hadn't seen her son. And so many, so many things. It's just so, and and that's just an ID, but you need a driver's license to get to work in most parts of this country. And so with the number of people we have who we help get driver's licenses, because you need a job, you know, and if you don't live in one of even a few major cities in America that don't that have great public transportation, it's really hard. You can't get around. And so it literally is, you know, we maintain this list of like things you need ID for and people send us things all of the time. And sometimes they're hilarious. Sometimes they're serious. You know, you can't visit a kid in most hospitals in the children's ward without an ID, right? Like there's so many things and we don't think about it. But my hope is that when people read the book that they'll do what I do now, which is that I am very hyper aware every time someone asks me for an ID. <laughs> and I'm usually like, I try not to be a jerk about it, but I usually would be like, just wondering what would happen if I didn't have an ID, right? Because you get asked for it so often you start to realize like, oh, like you cash a check. The number of people we've had who have had a check, like a stimulus check or a a social security check or something that they haven't been able to cash because they don't have ID. I've had unhoused folks who had the money that would get them into a safe place to sleep, but could not cash it because they didn't have ID. That was honestly one of the, there were so many examples that blew my mind, but the housing, like being able to be in a shelter or Mm -hmm. the food bank, like both of those blew my mind. And so did also the one in relation to the VA. Like having a VA ID, like doesn't get you benefits from the VA. Like you also need an external form of ID to get that as well. Like, I guess if there's a question here, it's sort of like, how have these systems come to exist where they're like a circle? Like you can't like, like you were saying before, it's like you need a birth or you need an ID to get your birth certificate. Like, was there, did these designs just all fall and fail on each other? Like, how did this happen? I know the 9-11 thing, but like, is there something larger here or no? Well, so the 9-11 thing is how we ended up with this huge population of people who didn't have IDs. But the systems, you know, it's sort of typical American bureaucracy where everyone sort of makes these rules. And, and everyone just assumes you have a thing. The a number of years that I and my general counsel have spent on the phone with people with different agencies or different vital records office, trying to explain the concept that some people don't have IDs and they don't believe it, right? Like the number of politicians who are like, no, you, there are people who don't have IDs. Like that, that's a thing and they just don't believe it. And they're just so unwilling to change, you know, we. We, you know, every county in America practically has different rules for what to do for, to get a birth certificate if you don't have ID. And we talk to, you know, county vital records who just refuse to make any exceptions for how to get a birth certificate because they just absolutely do not believe that there are people who don't have ID, right? And that's when you have 89% of a population that has ID, which says so much about the wealth of America, right? Like if that many people can go through this complicated process, but you have all these people and we are segregated in this country by socioeconomic status. You are always either in a room where everybody has an ID or in a room where no one does, right? If you're at your book club or your kids school parent night I don't have kids I think they have those still right or a nice restaurant or whatever everybody in there has an ID 
or you're at a shelter or in a community center or, you know, maybe at a a low income rural urgent care or something where all or most of the people won't, right? Like we're so separated, but that means that people can go their entire lives and never be in the room with a person who doesn't have an ID and certainly never have a conversation to understand what that means and what that looks like. And most of the people making our rules and making our laws, they're in the, the wrong room, right? Yeah, and we totally. don't. We have a caste system in America. We don't think about the lower caste. Who cares? They're just people sleeping on the street who we walk by, right? Or kids who don't have, you know, parents that we don't think about, right? Like, and so we make all these rules and we just say, oh, well, everybody has an ID, so you have to have an ID to get this. And we don't think about the fact that 26 million people don't. Yeah. I mean, that's why, yeah, I said even like the what's the catch thing? Because it's like so many people like don't believe this. I remember when we first had you on, like I couldn't stop talking about this. And I just like, especially when talking about like the homelessness and everything, because I'm also in California and it's everywhere and everyone complains about it. And it's like, there's always the argument of like, people just need to like get a job or like, you know, the bootstraps thing, all the, all the things. And after like having that conversation with you, I was like, no, there's something so simple that's in the way. And yeah, I totally makes sense that people just like can't wrap their head around this kind of simple solution essentially, but it's just so crazy. It's jaw dropping every time. But speaking of that, I actually just wanted to ask like, especially when you mentioned like your book, if there's anything that I guess is the most shocking, you think that people like really walk away being like, what like what's kind of the craziest like thing that you've come across in all of your research all of your work well I think the sheer number of people is always the first thing like people just can't believe it's 26 million I think the thing that is most shocking and infuriating to me and to people when I talk to them about it is the number of veterans who don't have ID you know because of the VA thing because they're veterans and you would think right like everyone thinks well all veterans have id and in fact they don't and i think that it's such a sign of how widespread this prop this problem is because if there's one group it's certainly not children if there's one group that both sides of the aisle claim to care about it's veterans and so when we realize that even veterans don't have the thing they need to be able to have jobs and housing after they leave. And I've got in the book stats and like veteran unemployment and like how unbelievable it is. And I think that really like gets people to realize like, oh, oh my God, like if we're not doing this for vets, we're sure as hell not doing it for like queer kids, right? Like we're, we are not addressing this issue at all. And I think that that, that, that for me, you know, there's a veteran shelter here in LA that I go to regularly to help with IDs. And we just constantly have unhoused veterans who are clients we're working with. And it's so frustrating. I'm personally, because I grew up on army bases, everyone in my family is a vet. And so like, just personally, it's frustrating, but also because it's just like, man, if, if we're failing them, we're failing everybody. Totally. Well, I know in the book too, you talk about the amount of vets too that are on SNAP benefits. I believe it was 1.2 million. And it's like, if we, to your point again, it's like, we have that many veterans that have to rely on SNAP. Like we're fucking up like hard. And then if we have Republicans that want to defund SNAP doubly, it's like, okay, like what's the, what's the real story here? But I do want to talk about what this looks like in terms of next steps, which is 
a bill, which is called the IDs for an Inclusive Democracy Act. I want to make sure I got that right. Can you tell us what the bill would do, how it would operate, and of course, like who's involved? Like who are the parties? Yes. Oh my gosh. This bill is my life's mission. And I actually, funnily enough, when I started writing the book, I was writing it thinking, I have to write a book that I could give to every member of Congress so I can get a bill. But then we got really lucky and got the bill in. So now the book is so that they'll hopefully, you know, pass it. But the Ideas for Inclusive Democracy Act is, it's in the House now. It's sponsored by Rep. Sean Kasten out of Illinois, who is absolutely just incredible. And then co-sponsored by some amazing people like Cori Bush and Ted Liu, my, my rep, and, and some just like really amazing uh, reps. And what it would do is create a free and optional federal ID. So but it's on par with like 99.9% of the rest of the world. I'm... Um, Basically, you know, right now we have state IDs and like, don't fool yourself. They're basically federal IDs. Like real ID has proved that the federal government can step in and interfere with your state ID all they want, but it's still a state ID. And so, like I was saying before, every time you move to a new state, you have to get a new ID and you have to get all of the paperwork over again, pay all the fees over again, do all of that. And so we want to avoid that. So the federal ID would be free for Americans over the age of 14. Uh, it would be distributed not in DMVs, key, but in post offices and libraries, which is huge because not only there's too much traffic in the DMV anyways, right? And there's state agencies. Post offices already do passports. So they know how to how to um, manage the whole ID process, the applications, et cetera. Libraries and librarians, first of all, they're the greatest human beings on earth, but they also are real centers for supporting the vulnerable. So much that a lot of libraries are starting to hire social workers because they support so many people. And who has time to sit down and help someone fill out an application and get an ID? A librarian does. And they're going to be nice and probably give you a cookie and a library card, right? Um, and there are also so many more post offices and libraries in the country than DMVs by a factor of tens of thousands. And so particularly when you're looking at uh, rural areas, you know, there may be one DMV in an area and 20 post offices, right? Uh, and so by expanding that, we expand access, we make them free. Uh, we... What documents will be required will be determined after it is passed, because the last thing that we want Congress doing is debating like residency document requirements for an ID. No way. (laughs) So, you know, the goal is to have a committee of stakeholders from all different, you know, venues, right, and, and, and touch points who can all come together to create sort of an ideal process or as ideal as you can get when dealing with the government. Uh, but the, the goal then is that you'd have a federal ID that you can use on your I-9. So you could use it for jobs. You can use it for government benefits. You could use it for travel. You could use it for everything. It's federal, so you don't need a new one when you move to new states. It's free. So if you lose it, if it gets stolen, whatever, you can just go to the library or the post office and get a new one. It would, of course, be secure. I mean, that the security issue, we... At this point, we know how to make IDs secure, right? Everybody's got a social security number. Like that is that is a thing that we we uh, aren't even really that challenged by. But it would really overnight solve this problem because 26 million adults, and it would really be 30 something million. We haven't done all of the numbers yet, but it could be because of the age group that we would be expanding it to. It would be tens of millions of people who would be able to 
just have a free ID and then get a job. And like all of these issues would be solved. Like you could put my book in the shredder. We would not need it anymore. <laughs> no, yes. totally. And except for not totally at the shredding the book because we love the book. So just putting that out there. But I do love the whole concept of having this at libraries and at post offices, because not only, like you said, like the numbers, but just the amount of layers and steps that it takes to get to a goddamn DMV, like the cost of trying to get an Uber there, a car there, public transportation, having the time off if you do have a job or you have a job under the table to get there. Like, it's just, that's a whole nother barrier in and of itself so the access point I think is so key about this whole thing you know it was a big thing for us and Repcast and his team are just so amazing and have been so incredible about sort of every step of the process and really listening to us and letting letting us sort of write the bill that made the most sense and it was so key that we put this in places that were actually accessible and that could actually be helpful for folks regardless of their situation there there was a suggestion early on that it should be distributed by the social security administration and i was like have you been to a social security and that's rather have it it is they are look people at the ssa are hard-working people but the circumstances that they are put into are worse than the dmv it's a real nightmare and like the absolute last place that anyone on earth wants to go. And our goal with this was not to put these in a place that was going to be so difficult to get to. Not to mention that a lot of SSAs are in federal buildings where you need an ID to get in anyways. But we are like, look, libraries, first of all. Yeah. Everybody's happy. People are already there. Librarians are great. And post offices are everywhere. And they already know how to do this. And so that, you know, we're really trying to think about how is this realistic? And this is why it's helpful to have you know, us and we have tons of partners and stakeholders who work with folks who need IDs. And so we know the situation on the ground because this is what we do. And I can say, hey, I know that this will work or this won't because I literally was on Skid Row yesterday taking someone to get an ID like this is this is what I do for a living. And so I think so often we have laws that are written by folks who have not been on the ground. And this is really we're trying to do it bottom up. Yeah. Well, to get political for a second, I had a question about the political landscape of passing this, especially because my mind goes to like, you know, the voting rights bill that, you know, is forever just stuck in oblivion. Um, And especially how even voting access has become a partisan issue, oddly. So like, obviously, like this could open the door to like a whole new like voting block to also be opened up, which threatens certain folks. So I'm just kind of curious, like what some of the political pushback you have gotten on this and kind of what I get and also like looking ahead, like what what kind of, I guess, political persuasion needs to happen in order to get something like this past the finish line. Sure. So here's the thing about this. It would be a federal ID. And so certainly in every state, right? So right now, every state has federal and state elections at the same time because it makes the most sense. Uh, so were that to happen, then sure, anyone who uses had this ID could use it in those elections. There are some state, well, no, there's Texas, which has a plan in place to separate their elections and then have federal elections on one day and state elections on the other day so they can block any state people out who don't fit the requirements. And then that would, that would happen. But 
what this bill does and what we're focusing on it is it's really it's a jobs bill it's an economy bill right like it would help 26 million american adults be able to get jobs it would reduce recidivism it would help veterans get jobs and housing it would reduce homelessness it would reduce crime right like there's so many things that this would do and my thing is if every single person who got this id got a job then they could get a state id and then they could vote in texas state only election or whatever right like the yeah. goal and the way that we were talking about this, and we have been fortunate so far, and I mean, I can, I can get a little bit into more of the politics, but that the there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who get that this is about jobs. Like politicians of all stripes understand what it means for the economy when 26 million adults can't legally get a job, right? And what it would mean, you know, we spend $25 billion a year, maybe 26, on homelessness in this country. You know, it would cost, according to my calculations with my, you know, little pink calculator. So it's not OMB, they're doing a, a financial study on this, but it probably a billion, maybe two billion to give everyone an ID. And then how many people would have jobs, right? And then we have taxes that would be coming in that aren't coming in instead of, you know, unemployment that people may or may not be collecting. And, you know, we would significantly reduce the homeless to prison pipeline, which is serious, right? Like all of these things. And so when we look at all of that, in so many ways for a lot of people that outweighs the idea that like, oh, people are going to be able to vote. And, you know, if you if 36 states require IDs to vote, then the federal government should just give everyone an ID to vote. So that's another thing. Right. But like we we are really focusing on this as a jobs and economy bill, because that's really what it is. Um, I think that, though, the challenge right now is that there are reasonable people on both sides there's unreasonable people but people who like sort of get the logic of more jobs you know a better economy on both sides and have the like the percentage of folks who are really only in congress to cause trouble and for whom logic means nothing and we have to deal with the fact that they not only exist, but right now have a lot of power. And so what we are trying to do is on the House side, get as many members as possible signed on to supporting the bill. Um, on the Senate side, we're working right now to get a senator to sponsor a Senate side of the bill. You know, it's also a 10,000, School Rock, where Schoolhouse Rock really misled me in how easy it would be to get a bill through Capitol Hill, it's complicated AF. I have spent the last two years reading, first of all, there are almost no books on how to do this, but reading, there's you no know, act of Congress. And this book is, it's great, but it's hilarious because it's about the Dodd-Frank bill. And the thing that I don't have that Dodd and Frank did is that they were Dodd and Frank and Frank. They've been in Congress for a hundred years. Of course, they don't know about this. They have a little leg up, you know, just slight benefit. If I was looking at at Ralph Nader, who's my, you know, legislative hero. And like, how did you do it, Ralph? And it's like, well, I'm Nader Raiders. But you know, like, it's, it is a long, complicated process. But we're like, look, we're going to get as many people on the House as we can, we're going to get a Senate side bill, you know, and we're going to keep watching for what happens, you know, we've got a presidential in November, which, you know, we could see how that moves the House and swings the balance of Congress every two years. One of the great things is every two years, Congress switches around. And so we'll see what happens. And as soon as we get a House and members of our committee who 
are not purely in office to cause chaos, then we will have a good chance at getting all other members or a majority of members of both parties to really support this bill. Because it's really that like 2% of people who just want to burn things down and can't be reasoned with who we're really concerned with. Totally. Well, I think there's something also to be said about like just knowing like when to like walk away from an argument, like not even bothering to reason with. We talked to Frady Reese at Unchained at Last a few weeks ago, and she was talking about like some conversations she had with reps about forced marriage and just being like at a certain point, you're like, I can't reason with crazy. Like you just, it's not worth your time. Like there's people to reason and have conversations with. So I think that's one bucket. The other thing in terms of like the economy thing, I don't know if you guys are aware of like this cap cut template that has Biden in it. And it's like him being like, it's good for the economy. It hurts no one. It helps everyone. And that is literally what's been running through my head. Like the second you said economy, I will have to share it with you guys. Cause it's, yes. it's this to a T, but in terms of next steps, what can people do to help get their reps on board to co-sponsor to get attention for this? Like what is needed? What's that next step? Yeah, so you can go to id4id.org. It's the website for the bill. And on it, you can A, see the text of the bill, see more information. But there is a section that has info on how to get in touch with your rep and scripts to either call, text, email, send letters, whatever. I'm to ask them to support the bill. So please, please, please go to id4id.org. You could also, if you'd like, you can donate to Project ID Action Fund as we are trying to you know marshal the resources to push this ahead yeah and you want to buy the book tell someone to buy the book because i really believe you know i tried to make it it's short you can read it in a weekend i threw in some jokes it's pink you know mm-hmm. i wanted to make it accessible and interesting and not just like a boring political tone like i have some books by people who are my real heroes but they're like 500 pages of like words on voting and I'm just like I I just I'm not gonna get through this you know and like I, I, know. I would done and what I really want is for people to read this and get it and be like oh my god I didn't know this was an issue and call three of their friends and be like have you read this did you know like the reason that this guy is sleeping on our sidewalk might be that he doesn't have an ID so he can't get a job or a place to sleep right and like for people to get that and I really feel like the more people like I never I very rarely talk to people about this issue and have them not care it's just that people don't know. But once you know, right. you do know this, right? Because you heard before, then you're like, oh my God. And then you can't stop thinking about it. And when there's a solution that's there, there's already <laughs> a, right? Which is so thrilling for me is that this book, I can say, I could say in this book, we have a bill. It's there. We do have to support it. Like this is a thing we can solve. And the solution is already in existence and we can do this. And it's, you know, I think we feel like we can't do big things in this country anymore, but we can. This is a thing we can actually do. Totally. And it is quite literally like 16 birds, one stone, like the way that this issue can solve so many other issues is everything. And I, you know, yeah, hopefully, you know, people get the book and like understand that for themselves and pass along and like make this issue known. I think like you're, it's so, you're so right. Like when people know about this, you can't stop thinking about it. I am like case study number one, Sam's case study number two. And here we are. But is there anything else we can send people off with, with like where to find the book, where to find you, social media, all the things? 
Yes. So the book is called American Identity in Crisis and it's for sale everywhere. You know, go on. Look, here's the thing. If you buy it from Amazon, make yourself feel better by writing a review, which actually is very helpful and counteracts the money that you're giving to Jeff Bezos. But it's also an independent bookstore. You can also call your local bookstore or your library and ask them to stock it if they're not already. You can find me at Cat Calvin LA. And I'm actually going on a book tour that kicks off in New York on Monday. So if you go to Cat Calvin LA on Instagram or catcalvin.com, my website, I've got all of the book tour dates. And so hopefully I'll be in a city near you. I'll be in Austin, Minneapolis, Nashville, New York, DC, LA, Portland, Phoenix. I'm probably missing something. Uh, then you can San come Francisco? out. But we are working on a San Francisco date. So hopefully. Okay, no. <laughs> with the book tour is every single stop I'm doing with either a local elected official or like a leader in the homelessness space so that we can talk about how do we actually solve this problem in Phoenix or in Austin or whatever. So that it's, it's about the book, but it's really about how can the people who are in this room make a difference right now. And so I'm really excited about that. So it'll, it'll hopefully be something that galvanizes people to make change in, in their neighborhoods. Totally. I love how it's all coming together. This is so exciting. And I can say, as someone that read the book, in possibly a record four hours, not to brag, that it is amazing. It is so good. I couldn't put it down. I also tried to like beat my record. So it was like one of those things, but seriously, <laughs> so good. So iconic. Everyone go get the book. And thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your support. You are you're the first person who read it. You actually got your copy before I got mine, which I was, I was a little... <laughs> so great about it. I was like, it's fine if it had to be anybody. But no, I just, I, I appreciate you guys so much. And I'm, and really, really thank you. This is, I am, you know, it's so terrifying putting something out there and just being like, oh my God, are people going to think this book sucks? Cause like my mom read it and liked it, but she's my mom. Of course she did. Right. And like to have it out there to have you guys be so positive about it so early has made me like so excited to get out there and actually like do a book tour and not be afraid that people are gonna either not show up or like throw things at me because it's a terrible book so <laughs> oh my you. god if anyone throws something at you call me i'll be on my I'll way take care of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much yeah.